0: Welcome to the Kindness Collective podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Harrington, where each week I'll be interviewing game changers who are up to good things in the world, supporting us with health and wellness resources, and ultimately, how to live your kindest life. Let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at. This is Patrick Harrington, and you're listening to The Kindness Collective. I'm here with Morgan Rodriguez. Uh, really excited to have you here, Morgan. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Hi, Patrick. I'm really, really excited to be here this morning.
0: Awesome. There's, yeah. Can you hear that? There's so much excitement in the room. I don't know what we're going to do with it all. It's buzzing. It's amazing. <laughs> so thank you for getting up. Gosh, it's, uh, it's a little bit chilly out today. Beginning of the winter here in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so what does, what does the change of seasons do for you? I
1: love this time of year. Yeah, I really do love this time of year. Yeah, I'm I'm a native Colorado native and skiing has always been a big part of winter winter time for me. Um, So, yeah, I adore being inside, staying cozy and warm. Yeah, cooking some of my favorite food and then, you know, getting bundled up, getting outside charging. Yeah, charging.
0: So you ski snowboard. I ski Uh big time skier. Did you ever cross over
1: once (laughs) <laughs>
0: one, one, one run was, or one, one day? day? It was yeah. one day. It was one
1: day. And I got tired of, of falling over. Falling
0: on my butt. <laughs> yeah, I tried
1: snowboarding and I was like, I, I'm not, um, this is not who I am. Right. I'm not, I know what I'm good at. So I'm going to keep skiing. Stay
0: skating. in your lane. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Snowboarding is such an um, asymmetrical sport. Yeah. It's not, it's, it, I find, I'm sure that there are studs out there that are just like, bro. It's still not asymmetrical right now. Yeah, get a split board. (laughs) Or just turn and face the other way, right? Go goofy for a while Uh and work that side of your body. But um, yeah, that's when I I switched, when I realized I was just working the hell out of my left foot forward doing everything like that. And now I've gone back to skiing too.
1: yeah. Yeah, I noticed a lot of my friends who snowboard, it really changes the whole way you use your body. You know, you're mm-hmm. turning your head one direction all day or the other, and yep. it can really load up left yeah. or right. So personally, that's what I prefer, skiing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something floaty about um, a powder day on a snowboard that is, that's epical. Epical. Epico. Epico. Como hey. dicen. Hey. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so you're uh, quite a Renaissance lady, mm. the way I think of you. Yeah, I don't know if you describe yourself that way. I would, but yeah. Um, yeah. So um, you've had a lot of travel experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, what What would you say that you mostly took from um, all your travels, or you know, a few things that you want to share about traveling that's really been uh, had a big effect on you?
1: Yeah. Good question. I think the one consistent theme that's been woven through all of my travels and the one thing that I always come back home with is that life is so simple. Mm. Life can be so simple. Uh Oh. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to please and comfort and nourish the human spirit. Mm. And when I've traveled, I've always traveled really light, really little possessions, prioritizing food, shelter, and companionship, the people that I'm spending that time with. And I can honestly say that when I've been traveling in that way, it's been some of the happiest periods of my life. Mm. And I try to prioritize bringing that back and, you know, in this preserved sense and these nuggets and I bring it home. and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to like teach this in my yoga classes. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to insert this into all of my personal relationships. And usually after about six weeks being back in this country, it kind of the shimmer goes away a little bit and I'm back in this flow of all of my material possessions and all these responsibilities and layers and the ways that I perceive it. Um, and so I'm still spearheading on how to tackle that.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think of this statement? More money, more problems.
1: I believe in it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Is it always true?
1: Not always. I think it's really dependent on, the culture that you might be existing in in that moment,
0: mm-hmm. for sure.
1: I think here we're kind of predisposed to a lot more consumerism, right? As capitalism is a big thing here in the West. So I think in that sense, it's pretty accurate.
0: Yeah. Here, money,
1: yeah. I think money is an amazing resource uh-huh. um, when it's used right, when it's used well. Mm-hmm. I just, I definitely believe there's two sides of the coin with that.
0: Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's interesting, as you were talking, I recounted some of my own travel and um, particularly what I heard you say, I didn't, what I interpreted you saying was that you did some traveling by yourself and that you would kind of meet people. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And that, um, and that those times um, in my past traveling by myself, I had really similar experiences where the, the kindness of strangers and the openness of uh myself in in a lot of ways mm. and of other people really really came out and as I was talking I was like I wonder if at that moment um you know it, it how I, number one how i travel today with a family and yeah. uh is really different and um yeah it's it's just so, it's so, it's something like you know the the more resources we have the more separate mm. Maybe we feel
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: Is that is that, um, is that what more money, more problems? Is that is that what it really points at?
1: I think that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean being more separate?
0: Well, I think um, it's like you know, in a lot of other places, and and in our country too, um, we have enough money to live in our own domicile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so we are living separately from other people mm. from from my extended family for example. Yeah. Certain people places here in the states other other countries uh it might be the choice to move in with my parents. Right. Which um would be amazing and challenging and all of the stuff right all the feelings. But that money actually allows us to live separately. Yeah. We take our own car instead of public transportation. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah that's that's that that's that feeling of the more resources we have, the more our ability to be independent from the crew right um, and a
1: little bit more isolated yeah in that regard i think as well mm mm-hmm. for sure
0: yeah yeah it's it's uh it's interesting the way that the way that um yeah money is money is such a thing right
1: yeah it is a thing yeah yeah
0: how um how's that working out for you as a yoga teacher money and that career and mm. How would you, how would you, how would you speak to that? Because the value, I just want to state at the front end, um, you know, the value of someone teaching yoga is, um, yeah. Wow. I, when I think of the, my life changed since taking yoga classes and being influenced by yoga teachers, um, it's, it's like, it's everything. It's what we've dedicated ourselves to. Yeah. So how about for you? How, how is that? How, how is that balance? How's that juggling?
1: It's always changing. It's always changing. I was really fortunate when I first started teaching yoga. I was living in my parents' basement. Mm. So that was super helpful, being able to save on rent and food and resources and everything. And I really had the luxury of not having to support myself entirely and diving headfirst into the satisfying and spiritual aspects of teaching yoga Mm. and why that was so nourishing to my being Mm -hmm. and why the impact of teaching yoga and holding that space is so important and vital for our community, for us out here in the West. And yeah, I just feel like I got really lucky in that sense. Gradually I was bringing in more money, bringing in more abundance, creating more connections and networks that was helping me support and sustain myself as mm. a teacher. Yep. And then it all started to materialize. I was able to move out of my parents' basement <laughs> and live on my own, Yeah, pay all my own bills with it. It's definitely been a Mentality that I have to spend a lot of time working with. Mm. I think, I know that we're told as yoga teachers a lot of the time that it's not profitable, that you're not going to make a lot of money, that you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. There's a lot of isms around it. You know, there's a lot of stories around it that for a while I was always really believing Um, and living out of a scarcity mindset rather than, oh, like I will have what I need. It's all coming to me. I will materialize. I know how to make this profitable and enjoyable. And so that's where I'm at with it right now.
0: And that it, that it is, um, in your world, in the version of life you have right now, sustainable. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I love to hear that. Um, as a studio owner, um, for probably 14, 15 years, my, the The stated internal mission was um, creating a sustainable living for yoga teachers, mm-hmm. and um, that was uh, that we were so unsuccessful with that. Yeah. <laughs> BTW, oh man, yeah, <laughs> you know, great idea. Mm-hmm. And um, Ellen and Jack and I, um, at one point, really per their prompting, was just like, I I don't know if that's the purpose. I don't know if that's possible. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd love to get your feeling on this because it seems like you have uh, crossed over a little bit to, to what I would call um, a sustainable mentality mm-hmm. within teaching yoga. Yeah. And um, what I found is, is that uh, we were offering something that felt germane to me as an entrepreneur, which was $5 a head. Yeah. If you get 20 people in the room, that's a hundred dollars a class. You teach 10 classes a week. That's a thousand a week. Mm -hmm. That's a $4,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that can work. Yeah. Right. In addition to some other things and right. And still right there with 10 classes, you know, maybe you're working 20 hours, um, in the room, you know, beginning to end that kind of thing. And so there's more space in your life to even have a part-time hustle or whatever Mm -hmm. you would like to do. And when I was speaking to teachers, they would say, oh, I can get that. I can I can see that. I can see that. But then going out in the world and actually inviting students yeah. to come in, um, being at cause in the matter mm-hmm. with people coming to your class, yeah. there was a disconnect. Yeah. And that carrot that was being held out, that, that possibility actually kept people from putting it in a category called yoga teaching is not going to be my primary source of income. Right. I actually don't want to do that. I actually don't want to do the work that I need to do in order to be successful at mm. that model. Yeah. Um, but I should, cause he got really excited and he, he, you know, had $5 in front per person right. or whatever. So can you talk a little bit about your shift as a teacher and what, um, maybe if there were some conversations or some specific thoughts that you had about yeah. yourself or about the industry that really made a difference?
1: Definitely. Really good question. I'll speak for myself when I say that as a full-time yoga teacher at this point, I have to go out there and get it every day. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't have the security and the comfort of a nine to five a nine to five job with a set salary and hours, and knowing that X, Y, and Z is going to be there at the end of the day, whether I show up or not. And I've always considered myself to have kind of an entrepreneurial mentality
0: mm-hmm.
1: as well in that sense, which has been motivating. Yeah, Honestly, really inspiring knowing that I'm the one going out there, bringing students in, creating my classes, materializing my own world. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. so that's always been really satisfying. I think the, yeah. the work, the effort,
0: mm-hmm. the tenacity of it. Right. Mm-hmm. When did that, um, do you remember when that Started Or how that started? Or was there role models that you had or stories?
1: Mm. I think it started once I had to support myself full time and was like, okay, cool. How do we materialize some resources? Yeah. Um, And how do we let that be in commentary with the passion that I have for my work? Mm -hmm. You know, because those two things need to be synonymous in my world. Yeah. For sure. Passion and output. Um, and I would say that I've had a lot of really wonderful teachers and examples in that regard. My two leads, when I took my first 200-hour teacher training, um, they were Ginny Biddle and Linda Gonzalez. Wow. Yeah. And Amazing. so they were just business women getting yeah. out there, hustling, yeah. materializing, believing in themselves, dreaming really big. Right. And so in that sense, as I was getting more into my yoga teaching career, I was like, that's cool. Hmm. That's a way to do it.
0: Shout out to Jenny and Lindsay. Yeah, shout out. Yeah. Love you too. Love them. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I can get emotional thinking about them. Oh, I know. Um, So what would you say if you had to put percentages as a student Mm -hmm. that you were motivated by the teacher, the subject matter, or doing it right?
1: When I was taking my training? Yeah, or
0: or just as a student growing up, Mm, like mm -hmm. was it... The, it had to be a good teacher, or I just didn't care, or mm-hmm. it had to be a subject I loved. Didn't matter who was teaching. Yeah, or I did it because I was supposed to do the work.
1: Oh, absolutely, I was supposed to do the work. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. And no, I feel, I feel deeply on a soul cellular level, spiritually called to the work that I'm doing. Yeah, always have. It was very, very clear mm. from an early age, as you will. Um, yeah, growing up in this kindness community, I was like, aha, uh-huh, yeah. This is it. This is it. And this is what I'm here to do and to work oh. and to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And to continue learning.
0: And had you felt that way about anything before?
1: Not really. And I think that is because kindness is such and has always been a strong community and almost a village in which I've felt really held, mm. supported in my learning, right. challenged, Always and yeah. recognized ultimately. Right. Yeah. I have a lot of teachers in this village.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so rich. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So what initially brought you to the mat to to your yoga practice?
1: So I was in competitive sports in high school I did swim team for one miserable Mm -hmm. season felt like I was drowning the whole time
0: it was awful literally it was so bad I was drowning (laughs) I
1: was this is awful why am I doing this I don't even remember why um and then I had my hand at lacrosse for a little bit
0: Uh uh-huh
1: all the while playing multiple instruments growing up I did four seasons of marching band
0: bam yeah that's awesome it was awesome did you wear the oh yeah the whole thing Hat? Oh, oh, the
1: hat with the feathers and the gauntlets. I was, yeah, that was my thing.
0: There's a lot of courage there. Yeah. There's a lot of <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of belonging there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I really want to get to here Definitely. in a little bit. But yeah. um, what a what a cool place to belong.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was my whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Extracurricular, social life, passion,
0: first relationship.
1: Um. Not really. Okay. I didn't date much until college. I was a little bit of a wallflower okay. and a tomboy. So I was, yeah.
0: Another reason why I'm starting my kids in band That's tomorrow. That's good. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it that way. Yeah. Keep them sharp.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Um, but that was even, you know, even in that community, there was a lot of competition. We would mm. leave every weekend and go and compete against other bands. And so there was this element of competition in my earlier youth, in my formative years, that was just not really doing it for me. Yeah, it was performative. A right. lot of it was really performative, which I've never really taken to.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, and my body started to hurt from all the activity in sports. Um, yeah, I still credit a lot of the external rotation and my hip flexors to my years of marching band. Yeah, right. And the way that they made us walk. Yeah,
0: huh.
1: yeah, it's a whole thing. I didn't, um, I didn't know that. It's really regimented. Yeah, there's a very specific way to hold your feet and your body and everything, and. Being that young, with my physical body really being a sponge at that point, there's totally. still patterns that I'm deconditioning in my body. Yeah. Um. And so yoga just seemed like the most natural thing, intuitively. I was like, let's go to yoga.
0: And how old was that?
1: I was 17. What? 16 or 17. Get out of yeah. here. Yeah. And the
0: youth will lead. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: And it was funny because the only yoga studio in Conifer, Colorado, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I was growing up. I don't know if they're still open, but they were called Yoga for Wellness, Mm. and it was all these old (laughs) Old, ladies—shout out to old ladies, old
0: ass ladies, yeah—who
1: wanted to do hatha and yin yoga and really traditional stuff in a really quiet space, which was challenging for me. Right to hold still, Mm. to sit in. The sensation and at the time, discomfort of Mm. downward facing dog to even try and tackle alignment, I was really frustrated. Huh. Yeah, I was really frustrated. So
0: it seems like you knew that there was something more. Yeah. How did you. Was that because you saw a YouTube video or is that because you just knew that there was something more? I just or like... was
1: really inspired by the practitioners around me. Uh-huh. Yeah. These older women who were just creating beautiful asana and deep in meditation and chanting. And there was some kind of magic and mystery around it that was really alluring to me. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, being in that very specific kind of feminine energy. Yeah. Deep and quiet and dignified. Mm. It was like, this is crazy. And I'm not sure I have the words to really put this experience, like, to, you know, bring it into my own world at this point. But I kept with it. Yeah. And yoga got really real for me once I left home and went to college. I did my undergrad studies in Seattle. Okay. And that was the first time that I'd really been away from my family and doing my own thing in a completely different city, in a completely different world. And... As it usually happens around age 18 or 19, I went through a big ego death. Oh,
0: uh, <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, where everything I thought I knew about myself as a social person, as a girl, yeah. as a woman, was changing rapidly. Yeah. And everything that I'd felt really permanent to me was not there. Mm. Even the friendships that I was creating were fleeting and shedding and changing. And everything was just, it was this insane period of, it was a death cycle. Mm-hmm. It was probably the biggest the first death cycle
0: mm-hmm. in
1: my life that really, yeah, really worked me.
0: I love that you use that word. Which, which can you word? can you death cycle death cycle can you yeah. can you unpack that word just for people who might not be aware or, yeah, or familiar with what absolutely. you mean? Absolutely.
1: So in my experience, this death cycle was all of my core beliefs changing, core beliefs around myself, the way that I perceived community, uh-huh. friendship spirituality, even religion, individuality, everything was kind of collapsing around me Mm -hmm. and I was really depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of, you know, the hormonal fluctuations that are happening in that time in a person's life, your brain is still changing and growing sleep patterns, the way your body processes nourishment, nutrition on top of learning and on being, top of Cheetos. Yeah, on, exactly.
0: There's Cheetos. Cheeto Yeah, pie. hello.
1: Yeah, always the Cheetos. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that, and to not have the support system yeah. around that I was used to having, yeah. like my parents, my family, my core group of friends could, back at yeah, home. For sure. I was out there. Your place. Yeah, I was on my own in a, a rainy, cold city. Mm. Shout out to Seattle. Shout I, out. I love Seattle. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was scary. Yeah, I was really, I felt really alone, mm. super alone. Yeah. Um. And it was spring break, and everyone was leaving the dorms, mm. and I was just gonna stay and just have my own week by myself in my deep, dark, <laughs> depressive state. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was like, great, bye, um, bye, guys. And I knew that there was a yoga studio mm. in Capitol Hill mm. around the corner, and I was. I just knew that was where I needed to go. I was like, you need wow. to get into your body. You need to have a physical experience so you can start to move through some of these emotions. Because at that early age, I understood intuitively that through the body, I could access different parts of my mind. Yes. And so went to the studio called eight limbs. There's still an operation right. in Seattle. Yes, I went to the Capitol Hill studio and I took a class by Douglas writings and it was, it, kicked my butt Mm. traditional hardcore hatha yoga holding warrior two for two minutes Mm. trying on ujjayi breath for the very first Mm. time Mm. working through my stuff Mm. and being held accountable to my alignment and holding the experience in my physical body until it cracked me open i was cracked open and i've been cracked open ever since
0: wow yeah so, um, when, w- have you experienced, uh, what you would call it, a, a death cycle since?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. A couple, a couple yeah. a couple of year, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think last was, week. Yeah. Last week. Right. Yeah. I feel like the more you make yourself okay with those cycles of not only death, but the rebirth yeah. that inevitably follows always the ebbs and the flows, the highs and the lows, it, it, it becomes this sacred dance with life and it yeah. makes it okay to not only keep changing as you need to as you evolve and survive but to keep evolving and growing
0: yeah mm-hmm. oh. and changing death is one of my favorite subjects yeah I me really, too i really love it and yeah. it's halloween it's
1: halloween yeah spooky. so
0: really cool to yeah. be um thinking about it so what what's on the other side of each of these death cycles is there, is there a common sign, common thing? Yeah,
1: yeah. I usually feel a lot wiser, uh-huh. a lot more calm mm-hmm. and more spacious. And in, and by spacious, I mean, the things that had bothered me uh-huh. or were bringing me down prior, it's almost like I have diffused the reactivity to those things, and I see them for what they are. And what are they? Tools?
0: Tools. For growth. So mm-hmm. challenge is tools for growth? Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. Uh-huh. I would say that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they might not feel like tools at the time uh-huh. when you're moving through it, when you're deep in it, but by diffusing it and I think examining your relationship to how it might make you react, you learn more about yourself on the other side.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm Yeah, one of my core philosophies is the micro to the macro. And it has in my, in my version of it, that everything represents everything. Mm. And, um, why that's so is because I, when I hear a a truth called energy is never destroyed, it only changes form. Then I, I kind of break it down to the sum of its parts that everything is everything. Mm. and that it's only just in a different form but it's all just the same thing yeah and so um i've always felt comfortable with death since i got that 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 kind of understanding when i was even in high school which is if i let go of an idea my ideas just change form Mm-hmm. they don't die. So what I think continues. Yeah. So if I think a negative thought, it actually continues. If I think a positive thought, it actually continues. And if I let a part of myself, you know, air quotes die, it's just like, just like when I leave my body one day. Yeah. The perception of one being bigger than the other one transmutation being bigger than the other is because i'm in a human brain and a yeah. human body and and i perceive them to be bigger but that's just me making meaning about it
1: yeah and getting attached to getting it. getting
0: attached to it and so how, how how has um the recognition of these death cycles how do you feel about your own mortality how has that Changed, evolved. Mm,
1: Yeah. I would like to think that it's changed and evolved Mm -hmm. for sure. I would like to think I'm someone who's okay with mortality. Mm -hmm. And I think there are moments where I really am, where I really, really understand the fleetingness of everything. And those moments are usually when I come out of a deep meditation or a really good yoga class, or a really good breathwork session, and everything feels visceral and clear. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, I, I feel okay about my mortality, and I know that this is all fleeting and temporary, and that this body will die one day, and that energy will continue to be transmuted mm-hmm. into the earth, into the planet, into however that's going to go down. Right. And then there are moments where I'm really scared of it, Yeah. and I resist it, Yeah. and turn the other way, Mm. and indulge my mind in the idea that this is all ongoing and forever and I don't really have to think about it yeah you know yeah and so th- I think in that way I'm really human
0: mm-hmm. I'm
1: really mortal in that way yeah I resist and then ebb and flow between being really into the idea of not being here one day
0: yeah you know yeah
1: yeah it's it's indulgent
0: mm. I think mm. thinking
1: about those things is very indulgent for me
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's rich just um hearing you describe that I really noticed um the part of myself that um wants to be comfortable with death. Yeah as my version of looking away. Yeah. And that I will actually just talk about it as a glass half full opportunity mm-hmm. versus um fuck. Yeah. That's that's crazy. And, and I think that the, the shift is really not wanting to leave my kids. Yeah. Not wanting to leave my parents, right? There's an order to things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like who should go when. Of course, yeah. Um, and so uh, thank you for being so human right there and, yeah. and letting me really feel um, where, where I am you you know, that's really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Thanks. I think we all move in between those moments of being radically clear with our mortality. Yeah. And then really avoiding the topic altogether, especially mm. when it comes to loved ones like your children. Or when I think about the inevitable passing of my parents, it's scary and we attach a lot of emotion. Yeah. yeah. To it.
0: But. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, 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 it feels pretty real. It is. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it right? is. But, but that's, that's that, that's that beautiful, you know, one hand clapping. Um, Like, <laughs> what's the sound of that? Well, I don't know. Like, yeah. like, is, is death real? Well, yeah. I, I, don't know. I don't know. You know, we can't, can't really tell. Will I know that I've died?
1: Yeah. Right. How do you know? I don't know.
0: I don't know what, what, Mm -hmm. so there's, I think, I think that if I keep backing off of it a little bit and keep pulling back and looking at me from afar, it's Mm. something like, um, it's really just a fear of the unknown and that feels like the final frontier. Yeah. It looks like.
1: Yeah. We perceive it to be that.
0: Have you ever, um, gone rock climbing?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm a big rock climber.
0: Okay, so yeah. talk, about, talk about the first time you uh, belayed down and you had to let go of the rock. Oh yeah. Oh. How, how is that like what we're talking it's, about?
1: It's exactly the same. It's, <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's a, a voluntary moment of trusting the unknown and relinquishing control. And I think one of the things that we grapple with in this lifetimes as humans is our illusion that we can control things, and there's a lot of comfort yeah. in the illusion, right? Yeah, Thinking for that sure. we can control our situation and the outcome and X, Y, and Z, whatever. Absolutely. But with rock climbing, especially when your life is literally in the hands of someone yeah. holding a rope, maybe a hundred feet below you, there's a lot of release. Literally, you have to do. You you have to release your attachment to to. control, and you get to, and you get to release your hands off the rock. (laughs) Just hang there in a harness,
0: looking over a valley or
1: whatever, or a canyon. It's it's visceral. And then, I'll speak from the eye, when my feet are back on the ground, I just want to do it all over again. Yeah. You know?
0: You want to do the experience of the what again?
1: Well... To put it plainly, the adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. But I would say the whole <clears throat> pretty unnatural experience of climbing up a rock and being hoisted and then being lowered down again, and the challenge of it, the thrill of a whipper uh-huh. slipping, yeah, and swinging, yeah. Who knows how many feet at that point? Right. And surviving it. Right. And being like, I'm okay. I have some scrapes and some bruises and I'm smarter for it Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah.
0: So is it the, is the excitement risking death?
1: I don't, in an extreme sense, I could say, yeah, it's risking death. Yeah. I don't feel that I'm going to die every time I go rock climbing. Is there a possibility? Maybe a little edge of it. Uh-huh. The the essence, the nectar of it, right. the root of it. But do I know that I'm in for a fearful challenging experience that might physically injure me to a certain degree? Yeah.
0: So yeah. it's it's a controlled uh, the illusion yeah. of a controlled <laughs> yeah. risk of death. Yeah. And I think that's uh, probably pretty true across extreme sports. Definitely. Is that I I I've, I've checked the the gear. Now I can risk death safely.
1: Yep, and it's controlled to a certain extent. Yeah, by my helmet, by, by my, my gear, crew. Yeah. yeah, by my belay partner, who's got me on a strong auto lock device or whatever. Yep. So there is the again the illusion.
0: Right of control. Back again. Yeah. I had an experience with my girls that I that I. I loved, um, which was, we went to Uber Grippen and, um, D Watts, uh, another one of our teachers hooked us up with some free classes and they have the auto belay system there. And for those of you that don't know what an auto belay system is, it's literally this like circular small barrel at the top of a route of a climbing route that the rope's coming out of. And, um, my girls are watching four and seven and my wife and D and her son and the instructor guy, and I've done some climbing. I'm, I certainly wouldn't call myself a climber, but I climb a lot of stairs. But um, <laughs> <coughs> I, we, I scrambled up, and of course, Daddy was scrambling up. And so, you know, there's this—I'm I'm this guy from my, my own mind, and so forth, for my daughters. And then I got to the top, and I looked down, and I'm about 25 feet up, and there's this little barrel thing. And I'm connected to it. (laughs) And they're like, okay, Papa, let go. (laughs) And I couldn't. I couldn't let go. And I just was frozen up there. And I was like, "Um, I'm scared. It's okay, Papa. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Just let go. And they're jumping around and excited. And um, that letting go is a practice that I think more of us should do. It was more. I should do. I want to do that release of control. Yeah. That release of the illusion of control. And I think that there's a lot of therapy in that, Mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, just a lot of what we're, what I'm caught up in, um, is almost always me managing or trying to control.
1: Yeah. Always. Yeah. That's
0: where my stress comes from. Do you relate to I that? I absolutely do. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And this exactly the stress that is born of that.
0: Well, yeah. Well, think of holding on to something... You know, mm-hmm. think of holding on to something for 10 minutes. Yeah. Think of holding your fist tight for 10 minutes, like stress starts to happen. Yeah. Micro to macro. Okay. Yes. If I'm doing this with my hands and it causes my hands to t- tighten and cramp, what's happening in my mind if I hold on to got to make a million bucks or, you know, um, whatever, whatever yeah. the story is that you're holding on to in your mind, it's going to cramp just like my hands Yeah. are going to cramp. Yeah mm yeah it's sure. death is death is so cool
1: Death is really cool yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so um love to to hear a little bit about your your daily practices and meditation if that's there for yeah. you or anything that you'd want to share with folks that that might be a, a template for what's you know supports you
1: yeah, absolutely. Something that I really noticed about my personal yoga practice when I started teaching yoga full time is that I didn't have a lot of time
0: mm. for my
1: own practices. Right. And I thought they would happen organically and naturally. you think, oh, I'm going to be a full-time yoga teacher. Like, I'm just going to eat, breathe, and sleep yoga all the time. When really, that's not the case. A lot right. of that time is spent class planning, creating playlists, commuting, sending emails, drafting teacher training material, things like that, which is all really exciting and fulfilling in its own ways. But my own practice was really thrown on the back burner. So creating intentional time Mm. for myself in all of my facets has been huge in this career. Um, and what that looks like right now is every morning I try to sit and meditate for at least 15 minutes. And like any other practice meditation for me has gotten easier the more I do it. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I remember one of my teachers telling me a couple years ago that, the human psyche isn't mature enough to meditate until at least age. <laughs> I
0: love that. age
1: forty-five okay. or fifty. I
0: just crossed yeah, almost, depending right? on which number you use. Yeah, you know. So we're
1: all we're all getting there. We'll all get there eventually. And I and that was comforting to me when yeah. I was in my early twenties mm. and having a really hard time sitting still and For and going sure. to that suspended space of stillness. Right. I got Reiki attuned level okay. one and two earlier this year, Great. which is which has been a trip. I think. No kidding. E- everyone should get Reiki attuned, okay. level one or two. The second I returned to my meditation practice after getting attuned to Reiki, which is a form of energy healing of a Japanese tradition, it just felt like a water slide Wow. right into my happy place. Just boom. Wow. I'm there.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: And somehow some kind of neural connection got really strengthened in my brain. And meditation is one of... The easiest things for me at this time in my life.
0: Who was your medication? Uh, Sorry, who was that all? (laughs) Who was your Reiki teacher?
1: So her name is Christine. I forget her last name. She was connected to me through a friend of a friend of a friend, a whole network of Reiki practitioners. And they say when you're ready for Reiki, it will find you. Uh And I found that to be true. It just started coming up to me. I kept seeing books and In the podcast I was listening to, it kept coming up, Reiki practitioners, this and that. And then this woman came to me and she offered a really affordable level one and two attunement. Wow. And I met with her individually back in February and had a really intense, beautiful energy session with her. And it felt really palpable. Yeah. Like right away, um, she made me go for a walk in earth a little bit mm-hmm, after the mm-hmm. sessions. Take my f- my shoes off, my socks off, and go put my feet in the dirt. Right. Um, and right away, every baby mm. and every dog on the street just locked eyes with me. There was this whole other
0: level <laughs> of like,
1: oh yeah, <laughs> you know.
0: Oh hey, I'm <laughs> not used to seeing you yeah, here. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like you're on our level now, like more so, or maybe even deeper so connected to spirit. Huh. In a way that babies. Still are, and animals.
0: That's great. Yeah. So, um, can you help me remember? I'd love to put her name in the show notes yeah. for folks that are curious about yeah. the experience of Reiki.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, um, I have to c- look at my phone. Yeah, we can do that. Get her last yeah, we'll do name. that.
0: We'll do that. Uh, that'll be online. That you can check out if yeah. you're interested. I'm interested. Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely come up um, in my world, and we have a Reiki practitioner um, Laura at, uh, our Hilltop location. And so you can experience, uh, Reiki with her. And also, are you offering Reiki to people? Not
1: at this time right now. It's still, I'm such a novice. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I wouldn't, maybe novice isn't the right word, but my practice is so personal at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning what it's all about. Right. And I think if I were ever going to offer it to others, it would be in greater respect and justice to the practice for me to really understand it first before I give it
0: mm. so sure
1: yeah that's yeah. where i'm at with it but we'll see you know yeah. in the future stay tuned is it
0: like is it like a belt system in martial arts is there like a level 10
1: mm. so there's three levels three so
0: levels level
1: one you're attuned to do reiki on yourself mm-hmm. and your reiki master who's attuning you offers you symbols that mm. you use and those are only given to reiki practitioners they're kind of secretive and that that's really like kind of the fun mystery the about it you know you get yeah exactly the secret handshake right? you got to Do the work, Uh and then you get the tools. You're
0: granted admission, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah. Uh
1: And so level one, you get two symbols, I think. Then you're attuned to level two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most places will do both attunements in the same day. Level two is where you can do it on yourself and others. Mm -hmm. And they say the first three weeks of your attunement, do it once a day on a plant Mm. or an animal or or a loved one who's consenting to the energy work. Right. And depending on... Your teacher, right, and the lineage of Reiki that you're learning. There's a lot of different lineages right now. You'll have to practice Reiki for anywhere between thirty to sometimes a thousand hours. Wow! And at that point, once you have all of that practice, then you get attuned to the master level, mm. which is level three. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's inspiring. It makes me think about, um, I'm all, I, I'm thinking about how do I create sustainable practice period. And then, um, with my kids, mm. right. Yeah. Um, and so with my wife, it's like, how did, how to create, it's like getting a massage training or whatever. Um, because that's a way to connect, with people, yeah, getting Reiki attuned is a way to connect as a parent to kids absolutely um, i love I love that idea, yeah. um, did you ever read the book celestine prophecy
1: no i I've heard of it though a lot of yeah. my friends have read that book,
0: yeah, it's an oldie, but a goodie, but one of the things that came up um, that may sound like what you 're talking about is. This idea that, that we all share energy mm-hmm. and that you can, one of the easiest ways to practice sharing energy is with a plant Yeah, and that you can see the aura of energy around a plant and you can merge with and feed and make it brighter. You can draw from, mm-hmm. um, so really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so in kindness yoga, we are, um, really in this conversation of belonging, Mm -hmm. um, inclusivity and diversity. And that's been, um, this whole world that I, I, I just, I I feel like a fish that realized he was swimming in water. Mm. You know what I mean? As this came about as a, um, white male. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I had no idea. I there was I had some idea right um my yeah. high school my first two years um white people were more of a minority than other races because mm-hmm. of the bussing system and so I got to feel to some small small period of time and degree what it felt like to not be um in the majority I guess yeah. you would say or Definitely disempowered as a freshman and sophomore period. But right. um, on top of that, I wasn't uh, part of a dominant group. But f- other than that and my experience playing basketball growing up, um, I've always swum in this water called white male. mm mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about um, your ethnicity, your background, and why this is something that's of particular interest to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a Mexican-American woman. Um, my dad's side of the family is comes from Mexico.
0: Shout out to Anthony. Uh,
1: yeah, what's up, yeah. Tony? Yeah. <laughs> um, He was born in El Paso, so he's also Mexican-American, but really Uh brought the richness of that culture into my upbringing. Yeah. My mom's white. Mm -hmm. She was raised on the Mexico border in Southern California, however. And so she grew up speaking Spanish, really grew up, brought up in that culture. And so when the two of them came together and started building a family, building a home, it was a really palpable aspect Mm. that became a huge part of my core identity. Yeah. Speaking Spanish, looking as a person of color,
0: mm-hmm. expressing
1: as a person of color, woman of color out in the world. Mm-hmm. And something that I really started to notice once I began teaching yoga as a full-time career is that most of the teachers and the community represent white, able-bodied people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it's it's only part of the truth, right? It's only one piece of the pie as far as who's going to yoga and who needs yoga and who yoga is serving.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a, it's the dominant, um, group of people mm-hmm. in terms of who practices yoga. Why yeah. do you think that is?
1: I think here in the West, a lot of our culture caters to whiteness and is centered around whiteness. Hmm. The way that, Yoga came to the West was centered around whiteness, hmm. I think. Um, Indra Devi mm-hmm. was one of the people who was credited to bringing yoga to the West, and she was a white woman, and there is a lot of, you know, a lot of attention mm. around her as the one person who brought yoga to the West and like turned it into this physical practice that we still utilize today in our society. Mm -hmm. When really yoga had been brought to the West prior and much earlier by Yogananda. Mm -hmm. Um, Ah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's,
0: he had some hair.
1: Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I love his hair anyway. Yeah. And so there's a lot of history, not only with yoga, but just the way that we perceive global history that's been whitewashed to a certain sense, Mm -hmm. and which has really fed in and created, as you said, the sea of of white maleness. And some people might say white supremacy Right. that caters to the perspective and the cultural aspects of whiteness. Right. Um, and so that's just kind of how it's been. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's what we've been doled out in hmm. this side of the world historically.
0: Yeah. The, the history is, um, written by the dominant culture Yeah. or the dominant, by the victor, by, by the victor. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's the same. By the victor. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so how does it feel um, for you when you see um, a person of color in the yoga space when you're a teacher?
1: I'm relieved. Uh, you feel I'm relieved. relieved. Yeah yeah. Oh. yeah. And there's no way to talk about race without really talking about it. Mm-hmm. you know, And mm-hmm. a lot of people get, defensive
0: mm-hmm.
1: when it comes to talking about inclusivity and whiteness and people of color and how sometimes divisive those words can be. Right. Especially in the yoga community where we're all talking with language of unity and togetherness and compassion and yeah. non-harming ahimsa. Right. And to an extent, I really buy in and believe in that. I think there can be an aspect of spiro- spiritual bypassing sure. it when it comes to that. You know, love and light to all without really regarding how systems of privilege and oppression still comment on even our most unified spaces yeah. and healing spaces like yoga. Sure. I don't have um, an intrinsic issue with white yoga teachers. Right. I don't. Mm hmm. Um, I'm half white. Yeah. I'm mixed race. Yes. And a lot of my favorite people and y- favorite yoga teachers are white. Yeah. There is a certain aspect of censoring that I do when I'm around white people. Mm. And I'll speak for myself Yeah, as a person, as a woman of color. Mm. There are layers that I am conditioned to remove around myself to make myself mm. more palatable mm. and easy to be around. Mm. When I'm in the presence of my white counterparts and Mm -hmm. friends and teachers. Yeah. When I find myself in the presence of a teacher of color, a person of color, woman of color, those layers don't have to come off. Hmm. And by those layers, I mean how loudly I speak, Hmm. my tone, um, the words that I choose to use, how well-spoken I want to come off, Uh how, you know, how educated I want. Exactly. Mm -hmm. My vernacular. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of changes. The way I code switch.
0: Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so when people of color gather, we don't have to go through that conditioning of code switching. We get to be boisterous and loud and our vernacular doesn't have to shift. We don't have to make ourselves more palatable for anyone. Hmm. And in that way, we do a lot less emotional labor Hmm. and get to exist in a way that's really candid Really relaxing and almost emulates the feeling of the village, where we get to talk about um, ancestral wisdom and things that were passed down to us. Mm. We get to tell our stories and understand them and kind of luxuriate in them with each other without having to explain them
0: mm-hmm. or
1: or take them apart mm. or make them a little bit more simple and palatable.
0: Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can just hear. Um, well, well, what do you mean exactly yeah. by that story that you're sharing <laughs> yeah. with me, mm-hmm. uh, brown person? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. growing up in um, in Denver and in the era of busing, I relate so wholeheartedly mm-hmm. um, yeah. to what you're saying uh, because when I am around um, people of color, I immediately go to a certain type of coding yeah. unconsciously. I, I share... Um, you know, the same sitcom conversation around, um, you know, people of color that I, I drop into a space of safety Mm -hmm. where, uh, I'm not as, um, I I don't know that, I don't know that I'm aware of it when I'm just being around, you know, other, um, white people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I, I just, I just wanted you to, I just relate to what you're saying. Um, and how we, um, how we become who we're around. Yeah. You know, exactly. And who, how we become who, who we spend time with. Yeah. Um, and as I hear you speak, what I would, what I just want to invite you, um, to be is, uh, whoever it is that you relate to as yourself mm. in the moment because images of different women of color started coming to mind that were unapologetically in their vernacular of their roots all the time and how powerful and, um, relieving and courageous it is to be around somebody that is not trying. Yeah. And so as you continue to become, Mm -hmm. you know, who Morgan is, um, I, I really just want to invite you, um, to play that edge, right. To let go of the rock, right. To let Sorry. go of the rock of, of, of supposed to, and and it's easy for me to say that because I'm my own experience, but from a place of easy to say that right. I want to, that's where I want to say it to right. you. Yeah. You know, it's just because that's my practice mm-hmm. because it's the water I swim in. And so I, I want you to know that there's water like that. Yeah. And I have no idea what it might be like for you in my projection and in my invitation, but um, I just want you to be yourself. And I think that um, I have no idea how hard that might be. And so my, I, I just want you to know that that's where my heart uh, comes from and my listening comes from. So um, we have a really uh, fun evening planned this weekend we that you're a part of. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that and how it came about?
1: Absolutely. So tomorrow night, which will be Friday night, November 1st, over at our Platt Street location, we are having yoga for people of color night.
0: Hey. Yeah,
1: this is the second time that we've offered this workshop at Kindness. The first one happened this past July, mm-hmm. which had a, a kind of a surprisingly amazing big turnout yeah um when i was checking the attendance online it said yeah like 15 16 people and i was like that's great it's gonna be an intimate group trial run we're just seeing how this is going to take to the community and how people feel about it and if people of color feel like they want this space of representation right open the doors and there are 15 other people outside saying hey is it too late to come in and sign (laughs)
0: up yeah (laughs) yeah how exciting
1: yeah and so It just feels very powerful to be able to offer this space Mm. to people of color in our community, many of which didn't even realize that they needed it until they attended it and said, wow, this kind of camaraderie is not something I get to experience very
0: often. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about the theme of the night for yourself? How did you teach? What was, Mm, what did you you speak about? Yeah. If that feels comfortable for you. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I'm still definitely spearheading. The overall theme and what I'm, you know, bringing through in the yoga itself. Mm-hmm. But since we're having it a yoga studio and it is yoga for people of color, there's yeah. always a yoga class. Yeah. And during this two hour event, I try to teach about forty five minutes because those two hours just Flies. fly fly by. So the yoga is it's all levels. I always try to make the class all levels really accessible, uh-huh. sweet physical poses. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Physically yeah. accessible postures for all body types. Mm-hmm. Um. And in the meditation, I, I just, I always theme about community uh-huh. and togetherness and something as simple as sharing the sound of your breath with yeah. those around you connecting it. The more you express, the more you show up, it's going to make it okay for the people around you to do exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And that gets really strong Yeah, and really rich mm. and we practice and then we break bread. We, we end the yoga. Everyone brings a snack. Okay. We circle up and we eat together. Oh, and while we're eating, I try to keep it just really casual and, and non-performative. I offer journaling prompts. Mm. say, so here's some prompts, you know, to to kind of process this experience while we're here in Community Breaking Bread. And those prompts right. are usually, how do you move through your life as a person of color? And have you felt represented in the world of yoga and fitness as a person of color? And what do you hope to give or get from this gathering. Right. And then we popcorn around and share. And usually everyone ends up sharing their mm. experience and expressing mm. their gratitude and their reluctancy for showing up at first, mm. um, their hesitation. There's, yeah. you know, because it's tricky. it's tricky. It is tricky. It's tricky. Mm. And sometimes we get a lot of Flack and disapproval, even from our white allies, for mm. creating a "quote unquote" intentional segregation, mm. which is so far from the truth. Um, I understand why it could be perceived that way. Yeah. But again, to speak back to what I was talking about just a few minutes ago, being in that community, commiserate, commiserating in that community, is nourishing. Yeah. For our backgrounds culturally.
0: For sure. In a
1: way that we can't do it all the time. Yeah. And so that's why we choose to create a space that is concentrated. Yeah. In that sense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so. All good stuff. Yeah. All good stuff. So good. Well, yeah.
0: and so good for um people to be challenged and relieved by the opportunity. Yeah. Right that it represents for people that that actually aren't on the invite list. Yeah. And for people that are on the invite list. Mhm. Um one of the most uh recently profound experiences I had around race um I was flying back from Costa Rica um, to Denver, and it was just me and the girls, and yeah. I was watching um, Black Panther, yeah. the new Marvel movie, mm-hmm. and um, I had Dabney Rose, my youngest, uh, asleep laying across my lap, and Abriella, who never gets media except for when we're on planes, just totally engrossed yeah. in some like so kid movie or whatever. And I look over at them and, um, and I'm watching this, the, the movie Black Panther, and I'm thinking of some of my, my good friends from high school who are black and, uh, and I just started to cry. I started to weep and it's, it's not a sad movie, <laughs> but, yeah. but what struck me was what it must be like to never see yourself as the hero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that I always get to see myself as Superman. Yep. My counterparts get to see themselves as Wonder Woman, and yeah. that for my friends in high school, they never feel seen as the hero, yeah. Except in very limited contexts, right? Mm-hmm. Usually around sports, but there's there's this being seen, and in that moment, as all of this was kind of coming out, and I was just learning about it from from afar over this last you know twelve to eighteen months of our. Kind of initiatives around it, and um and I looked at my daughters and I wept for the ways that they won't be seen. Hmm. I wept for the ways that I don't see my wife. I wept for yeah. the way that my friends that I grew up with never felt seen, and the ones that got to spend at my house kind of like as surrogate sons to my parents. Yeah. And the reason that they felt so good there was that we we just see them. Yeah. Just you just feel seen. And so yeah. can I, I can imagine that that a part of what is so powerful about a people of color yoga class mm-hmm. is that you get to feel yourself and you get to feel seen. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that feel true?
1: Yeah, and even on the scale of offering this workshop once in a while, a couple of times a year, we are mm-hmm. deconditioning the way that we perceive otherness around race. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: yeah. What a courageous um, and so freaking normal, yeah, thing.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but but that's that's what's so awesome is that you know uh, really normal shit is super courageous. Mm-hmm. This out of balance. Yeah. We, in a in a culture this out of balance.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: You know, um, tribes um, are, I believe, a huge part of our success strategy as a species. Mm. Yeah. And that um, you know, race and and grouping has been a huge part of what allows us to to stay alive mm-hmm, to survive. You look like me. Uh, I don't know anything about you, but they don't look like either of us. We must be on the same team. Yeah. And you can see it in sports now, you know, mm-hmm. all the uniforms are different colors. Yeah. Because you group together yeah. with like-mindedness, with like, like-lookingness. like
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and one of the things that's been just incredible is to just notice that... Um, Everywhere I go, because of my height, because of my color, because of the body I was born into, mm-hmm. um, I get to feel seen
1: right
0: and i don 't I just have no idea about that yeah I, it just was not even there, so i am as a as a white male i didn 't ask to be the dominant. Color or whatever it is you right. know what I mean and that's yeah. not even the right way to say it it's not even true, but there's this historical context that we're living into yeah and the other thing about the Black Panther movie that I thought was so powerful is as I wept for the relief of not being in that position like what would it be like and what glory it would be like if black people were the dominant culture if Um, Hispanics were the dominant culture. What Mm -hmm. would that, what would I get to, what would I get to feel by not being in one way, which is a really strange thing to say. And, you know, it's coming from my own ignorance and exploration around the subject, not being saddled with this body and this color. Right. Right. Yeah. in a way we're just born into these circumstances and we try our best. Mm -hmm. So hearing that from a white male, what what do you? What comes up for you, or what? What do you?
1: Yeah, so much. Yeah, so much, man. Yeah. What a question. Yeah, I've just been chewing on this um, this Ubermensch archetype, and I think that comes from Nietzsche's philosophy. This archetype of, you know, the tall, stoic, heroic kind of white male that's mm. been so prominent in all of our. All of our lore, yeah. all of our stories, all of the right. oral culture that's been passed down through right. colonization to us, and so it's just such a deeper conversation of deconditioning—not only the history that we've inherited, but the way that we interact with it daily, and the way that has been given to us through our media. Yeah, it's everywhere.
0: It's everywhere. It's
1: everywhere, Fuck. and it's really subtle. I've been reading this book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Have oh, you read it? Oh, I love it. Yeah.
0: What a great book. Yeah, what I a like great author. And oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah. Like, he is, he knows what's up. But just
0: He's a mixed.
1: He is mixed. He's half yeah. Jamaican. Okay. Yeah, he's half right. Jamaican. Yeah, that's right. yeah. And you might recall the part of the the book where he was taking, um, I forget the name of the test, but it was essentially testing your race bias. Yeah. And he's like, I'm half black. Like, I know how I'm going to test on this. And it was, and like you know just matching words yes. that we use every day like bad or good or villain or yes. you know with like black and white and yes. it's the same thing with men and women and like words like housekeeping or child yes. rearing or career or yeah just really
0: dominant yeah
1: co- connotations wow. that we have without maybe with or without our knowledge built and created perceptions around race and then, you know, gender. And that can be a whole other podcast yes. we get into. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole <laughs> other, it. Whoo, but, um, it's, it's a crazy world mm. that we're living in out there in this sea of super, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, machismo, like in Spanish, sure, you know, machismo sure. super machism, super male whiteness is so much more complex and layered than many of us perceive on a conscious level. Oof. And so, even thinking about swapping the scales of what if, you know, black and brown yeah. people were the people who held most of the power, right, right now, and what would that be to be flipped? Yeah, I have no idea. Right. What? Yeah. What? Yeah.
0: Well, it it would be it would be just as unjust as it is now in some way. My guess. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I, oppression, I, I, don't, know, I don't know.
0: Right. I mean, that, again, oppression this is would all transmute
1: of... in some sense, I suppose. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, there would, there would, like, like this is. I think that this is the question for our next time together. Maybe we dive in. Is this idea of is oppression part of being human? Yeah. And um, you know, Joe Rogan um, is somebody that I listen to quite a bit. The quality of his guests, the quality of his questions over time have really uh, grown. Yeah. And. But I think that that's, it's a question that he asks most people when the subject matter comes up is it's like, do you think that we'll ever be peaceful? Yeah. And he hasn't had a guest that has said yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what is germane.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, to us as a, as a species.
1: It's so hard to answer that question in this historical context right now where we're at in human history, with our injustices towards people of color being so recent in our past. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the healing that is still taking place. Yeah. The debts that are still due. Yeah. It's it's a tricky ground to tread on for sure. Will there ever be peace?
0: Yeah, well and and just to just to speak To the, to the process, um, you know, I encourage, um, people that uh, were born in white bodies to, um, not know anything to just not fucking know what it's like and to get to be, to get to be ignorant about it and definitely speak, Mm -hmm. but ask questions and, um, and listen and listen. Yeah. Hello. And listen, you know, and I, and yeah. I'm, and I'm as guilty as the other of, um, you know, just coming from a space of having been asked a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just the paradigm that I'm born into. But, um, and I, and I, I guess my request is, and I, I don't know that this is necessary or not, but that, if, uh, educators and people of color, um yeah, it's it's crazy just how much um ignorance must be tolerated coming from white people. It's considerable. (laughs) It's
1: crazy. It can be, yeah. It can
0: be, right? But there's like this idea of how do you educate someone who doesn't know?
1: Yeah.
0: And and how we continue to hold space for each other. Um, even though in certain situations and maybe in many more than I'm aware of, we haven't earned the right for that space. Mm. You know, that I haven't earned Mm. the right as uh, a white male to be invited to a people of color night. Right. Maybe, maybe in the future Mm -hmm. that people of color includes the rainbow. Yeah. But at this moment of the healing, it actually feels correct to me that, I get to feel not invited.
1: Yeah. And to sit with that.
0: And to be with that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And reflect the validity of, you know, your feelings around that and also how they are equal to the validity of people of color wanting inclusion and a private safe space to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. It's, it's really good and healing to actually not be invited. It's certainly perspective <laughs> it's giving, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I've had a lot of really interesting conversations with white friends and allies who, who feels weird about not yeah. being allowed to attend. And it's been interesting to sit there and hold space for them to sit and kind of wrestle with those feelings of, I want to be there to support, but I know that by not being there, I'm supporting. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And that's the definition of sitting down and listening, mm. which we all have to do sometimes
0: you know yeah yeah well maybe not as white people maybe we get to you get to right I think that's the distinction around the dominant paradigm is that um wait a minute I've I've got something to say yeah um look point the camera over here please yeah and I think that that's actually the practice is that we get to be quiet Mm -hmm. that we get to have history written from a different perspective yes um and yes. what a what a what a gift um that, that is. Yeah. And that I'm just um, you know, doing my best to ingest.
1: Yeah. It's um, it's been svadhyaya self-study for, yeah. for us all.
0: Yeah. hmm Morgan, this has been such a pleasure and we're gonna we're gonna leave it at this high point, this rich part of the conversation, because I I feel really excited about our next time and, and being able to, to dive into how it was for this latest uh, People of Color yoga class and how that conversation keeps evolving and, um, and to bring into the conversation about gender and, and to help educate me and our listeners about things that maybe aren't um, top of mind and, and aren't things that, that our own personal communities are, are, are working with. Mm-hmm. So I really acknowledge you and thank you for your service to Kindness Yoga and to the people that you get to teach. And um, yeah, I'm really appreciative.
1: Yeah, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for inviting me onto mm-hmm. the podcast with you to talk about all these things that I feel so passionately about. I'm really excited to be part of this community and to see what's what's next for us. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Blessings, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.
1: Bye. Bye.